You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the game, the Aussie's dream of FA Cup podcasts. I'm Gab Marcotti, and I'm joined by Peter Lansley, Rory Smith, and a former pro who could never be tempted out of retirement, Matt Holland. <laughs> Later on, we'll be discussing QPR and Neil Warnock. But first, we got to start in Manchester. Right, City and United, and before we get into the game, which had about a bazillion subtext, uh, there's something I want to understand. Uh, Aurora, you're very familiar with uh, registration issues and technical ones. How is it possible that Manchester United could sort of say on Saturday, uh, which I presume it was Saturday, notify the Premier League, hey, Scolzi's back, this is a squad number, but don't tell anybody. Yeah, can you do this incognito? I, well, apparently you can. That's what, what has been proven. He's been training with the first team, we think, for about a month on and off. Uh, and yet then suddenly he appears as Manchester United's new number 22, which suggests that the way it works is that, yeah, they will have had to submit a, a team sheet, a, a squad list, a notification of change. And as long as nobody asks, the Premier League don't tell anybody. Hey, Lansley, I'm just curious about this. I mean, maybe it's, it's my you know pathetic sports entertainment mentality here, but... You're the Premier League. You're a commercial venture. This is a big story. I mean, I, I, it, it's this smacks of like, I'm a big professional wrestling fan. This sort of smacks of like WWE and when like, you know, the guy who's retired all of a sudden, he's the new mystery guy who kind of shows up. Is You think that's what the Premier League did and said like, this is a much better story if nobody knows about it? <laughs> well, I think the Premier League's um, priority in that instance was how they played it. And that is to facilitate the clubs within, within their regulations. Um, I mean, I don't think the Premier League need to go drumming up any extra publicity. So um, I think it was up to Man U. If it's within regulations and they want to keep it quiet, I think that's, that's their um, prerogative. All right, well, we'll get back to Scholes and, uh, and, and his performance. But obviously, uh, one of the big things early on was, uh, which I guess to some degree changed the game, um, was companies uh, red card, straight red. Um, Matt? 
Was it red? Is that what you can ask me? Um, well, I suppose it's the, the well-coined phrase, by the letter of the law, I, I guess it was a red card. Now, for me, I, I think it's very harsh. I don't think it is a red card. Um, you know, in, in days gone by, we don't want to outlaw tackling out the game, For my, in my opinion. I mean, that's part and parcel of it. I think fans enjoy seeing a big 50-50 challenge. In fairness, Nani just jumped out the tackle. I mean, if that was me in midfield, I'd have wanted to make the tackle with him, Vincent Company, but Nani jumped out of it. Um, he actually got sent off against Wolves earlier in the season for a similar offence. Torres likewise against Swansea. Um, so, by the letter of the law, I guess the referee has got it spot on. Um, oh, I'm not, sorry, I think the, I think the law needs changing. That's what I would say. Okay, but hang on. Help me out here, though. All right. I, it, it wasn't two-footed in the sense that he his, his feet weren't together when he went uh, when he went in. Uh, one was trailing. Um, it wasn't studs up because he gets the ball with with his instep. Um, how was that? And, and also, I may add, I, I don't know that you said you know Nani. You know, would, if that was you knew, you would have challenged for the ball. Yeah. Well, I'd argue if that had been you in Nani's position. You would have been late to the ball, and you would have clattered well, so not as the quick company. as Nani. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that too. No, yeah. but I, I, it looked to me like you know Nani avoided him because he was second to the ball. But Nani kept on running. Nani didn't even stop round, turn around and ask for a foul. I don't. I don't think Nani thought it was. Yes, he didn't go in well, full-bloodedly. Yeah, but Lansley, as the closest thing to a qualified referee that we have here when Allison isn't there, you should know that uh, a referee's decision shouldn't be influenced by whether the players it, keep on running or appeal for a foul, right? No, but it does tend to give a good indication of what everyone around thinks. I'm not saying the ref should be influenced by it. In I fairness, Nani didn't actually see the challenge, particularly mm. because he jumped over it. It was Rooney and Carrick behind who then have claimed a foul. Rooney saying it was a two-footed challenge and complaining about it. He and asking tweeted for it foul. again this morning. The, I I know they did and certainly Rio Ferdinand has as well um, I, I, look we've seen some tackles this season which Lampard for instance where I think that was against Wolves that was probably a red card and what about Milias when Milias then goes that um, was a similar tackle yeah Absolutely. exactly so then you've got to, you've just got to get the consistency which always sounds boring when pros say that Matt but mm. it's, it's true isn't it but yeah. the, pro- the problem is you've, you've, you've taught in this chapter 22 where you need to have consistency just otherwise everyone complains but clearly every tackle should be judged by its own merits so Matt's absolutely right in according to the law you you take two, two feet off the ground mm. it's mm. a foul but you can take two feet off the ground and come up with a perfectly safe tackle just as you can go in with you know one foot and it and try and mutilate someone's leg so it's this weird sort of tension between needing to have a rule but at the same time needing to have it flexible enough so that referees can take into account what what actually happens such as if he gets the ball now i it, what struck me too is a lot of people go and, uh, and, and, and point it out, oh, but so early in the game. Now, yeah, to me, it's, it shouldn't have made any kind of difference no. when it happens. Um, I, I, I don't buy the spoil the game, argue the, you know, that's the excuse Howard Webb used yeah. for, for turning the World Cup final into a bloodbath. Time of the game is absolutely irrelevant. It's, it's the situation and, and how it happens. You know, it's like the reputation one as well on, on the red cards recently that haven't been given. So Frank Lampard's against uh, Wolves. Where not that sort of player. He's not that sort of player. Oh, my goodness. It, oh, He's not that sort of player. But it's still, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, it's still a, a, a reckless challenge. It's a red card. Joey Barton, he is that type of player. Oh, it's a red card. It, it's, now, it's you were not that sort of player. Did you avoid a couple red cards because you were not that sort of player? Great question. And I'll tell you what I did, actually. I, 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 I did get away with one at, at um, Sunderland. Um, was myself, it Cattermall? Was it somebody? No, it was Alex Ray. 
Ooh. Yeah, so it was 50-50 challenge and, and it was uh, one where I probably went a little bit over the top of the ball. Um, and I Did he curse at you in Scottish? I, I He was on the floor writhing in agony at the time. Um, and I, I got a yellow card and quite honestly, I probably deserved a red card. Um, uh, Peter Reid after the game was brilliant in the press conference and defending me. He's not that sort of player. Um, <laughs> but I got I did get away with it, definitely. There you go. We, we have evidence that, the, a, not, that, that this... It's a confession. It's interesting that, that that's obviously still haunting Matt Holland's dreams <laughs> well no it's funny because I was talking to my brother about it the other day we, just on the back of the Barton incident the Lampard incident he, he reminded me actually of this, the incident at Sunderland where I made that tackle and, and perhaps should have been sent off now I, I was looking at uh, going back to the game I, I was looking at, at the outcome and I was sort of thinking to myself you know for both of these clubs is the glass half full is it is it half empty and I thought, hey, maybe this is one of those games where actually both clubs can take more positives than negatives out of it in terms of in terms of the result. Obviously, for City losing company for for four games um, is is going to be a big blow. And I want to get your views that, uh, on this because I want to mm, start with I want to start with with United because obviously they lost two in a row. They go, they win away from home against the crosstown rivals or through the next round of the FA Cup. That's all very big. Um, but then, of course, they had that second half performance. And I saw Sir Alex talking after the game, and he almost seemed angrier than he did when they lost the two matches before. Um, Rory, is, are, are you with Sir Alex? Should, should he be angry and throwing teacups even after this uh, victory? I mean, were they that bad in the no, second half? No, it was a 3 0 up performance, wasn't it? it was just the, they played like a team who had won the game, and you know, ultimately they almost sort of got caught out for that. But. I do think that psychologically, you're 3-0 up at half-time against the team who beat you 6-1 at home the previous previous time you met. They will have wanted to go and sort of do to City what City had done to them. And the fact that they didn't, even against 10 men, it, to me, it looked, watching it from the uh, the David Seaman suite at London Road in Peterborough, <laughs> uh, it looked to me a little bit like confirmation that the power shifted, that City don't buckle in the way that United did against, you know when it was the circumstance was roughly similar so to me I think despite defeat City can take positives and United there is a negative there I think on reflection Sir Alex Ferguson would be delighted with the result yesterday they were absolutely awful at, at Newcastle um, they were out muscled out four out battled all the things that you don't expect from a Manchester United side and against City they had to put that right on reflection looking at it they've beaten their nearest rivals who are three points ahead of them in the title race uh, and have the, perhaps the stronger squad and have the better running and look favourites for the title and they're, in, they're through to the next round of the FA Cup if you just stayed on the back of two defeats and two poor defeats Blackburn at home and Newcastle away you're going to go to City and you're going to be 3-0 up at half time OK they're going to come back strong in the second half which you would have expected anyway um, you're in, into the hat for the next round I think you'd be absolutely delighted this morning Okay, so you're contradicting Sir Alex, who's. I think he was. I think he was obviously angry. He post- sets the bar very he was, high. He was angry post match, and it's letting the players know that they can't drop their standards, which they did in the matches against Blackburn and Newcastle. And it's probably heat of the moment as well, yeah. a little bit, because by today he'll look at the draw and he'll look at the victory, and I think he'll be, as Matt says, taking the positives more as time goes by. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I can buy the positives if they've interrupted the run, but. Goodness me! It's Forty-five minutes against ten men, you know, was 
and and, and and you lose two now. I mean, you can't no, hide there's problems. You can't hide the, there's problems at United. Definitely. I mean, the spine of the team, uh, even central midfield, still there's there's an issue. I know he's brought Paul Scholes back in because he's, they're lacking numbers in that area. The fact that Vidic is out for uh, the season is a massive blow for them because he's their best defender, probably their best player at the moment, alongside Wayne Rooney. The goalkeeper issue is still ongoing. Uh, Not a big no, Linda well, going. Well, still no. Well, still no further knowing who's the better of the two. Really, you know, David de Gea has made some high-profile mistakes. Lindegaard's look calm and composed and assured but not really being tested yesterday makes a mistake in a high profile game where he looked nervous and on edge uh, I even think the first goal he perhaps should have got across to the collar off free kick better than he did so that's the problem for them uh, so th- th- there's no doubt there are issues at United but then you're, you're, you're Man City and you've had this record-breaking start to the season. You've, you know, you've got the most expensive squad ever assembled in England. You've got Sergio Aguero and David Silva and all these brilliant players. And you're three points ahead of Manchester United, who are. I mean, I, I don't even think United fans deny it particularly that they're a shadow. They're not a great side, United, Ma- and they're still there. Mancini deserves massive credit yesterday for his tactical changes. I mean, in the past, you know, everyone sort of said, "Oh, he's assembled this great squad and he's spent money and he's got these great players in in the, in the team." But yesterday, tactically, he got it absolutely spot on in the second half. He shored it up at the back. He went to a three he kept two up front which caused United problems defensively um, he took off his most influential player this year David Silva to do that at half time um, so a lot of people in the past have just said oh well Mancini yeah he's come in he spent money he's got a good squad um, but actually I thought tactically he was good yesterday I want to I want to uh, get this out of the way I, I, I thought it was remarkable and I guess a reflection of the, the age we live in that you know I'm, I'm sitting there uh, Friday night and uh, I, I've, I've got the Twitter open and they tweet through the front page of the next day's Independent at just before nine o'clock. It's that 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 uh, Nick Sutton, that Radio yeah. Four guy, does that. Uh, and if you don't subscribe to him, you should because it is kind of it is kind of neat. Um, and then, sort of within within an hour, comes United's response to a story which hasn't actually been printed yet because the newspaper isn't out yet. Nobody's actually read the story. I mean, there could have been quotes from Fergie and Rooney in the story. But, um, and, and it's not just United, by the way. It's on United's website. I mean, you can go and, and check this out. I thought it was remarkable because it's like a joint um, statement from the club, from Wayne Rooney, uh, from, uh, um, from Stratford, Rooney's agent, and from this guy called Ian Monk, who's like a, a PR guru, not my favorite person in the world, but um, that's a whole other issue. And, and then, of course, Rooney and Colleen then follow this up themselves on, on Twitter. Now, Rory, you know how the media works up there. Hey, can I take it as read that United knew that this story was going to come, presumably because the Independent would have gone and checked the story with the club who would have said no, and then they still went and issued their preemptive denial? I mean, were you surprised by this? I was I was reminded of the times back in 2009 when every so often we'd get a story in the north about Cristiano Ronaldo having signed a pre-arranged deal with Real Madrid and even before the paper was printed United would have denied it and they were they were really quick on it and United aren't desperately proactive with the press they, they're happy to let things run and not comment that's their general stance on things with that they were really really hot on it and it's the same with this the other thing that I would say the story was written by Jim Lawton the, the Independence Chief Sports Writer who is sort of an institution of British journalism who doesn't often do news stories and I think that's that's telling. And, then, and that's why United took it so seriously, perhaps. Uh, what I find interesting here, though, is they... Um, is, is, I don't know. I, I can't remember too many situations where they take this story so seriously that they all come out 
and they all sort of hammer the point home. It's all lies, blah, 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 everything's fine. I mean, a year ago, I thought it was different because obviously mm-hmm. Rooney wanted to pay rise. Uh, some of us conspiracy theorists also still kind of believe that Fergie was, would have been ha- very ha- was very happy to give him the pay rise and maybe was sort of secretly happy that this whole went to a breaking point and the Glazers cut a bigger check for his players. I don't like, Sir Alex has never been against his players being well rewarded, the good mm-hmm. ones. But I, were, 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 were you surprised? I mean, what's your take on this? I am surprised, but I think in the, in the light of what happened last year, United would want to cut anything in the bud. They don't, they don't, you know, they're thin enough on the ground in terms of, you know, star, you know, top players at the moment to have any more circus going around Rooney. There's been so much, what with the, the night out over Christmas, the transfer request last year, the, the post-World Cup hangover and all that preceded that. I think it's probably a case of nipping this in the bud. As, as uh, Rory was saying, you know, Jim Lawton's not going to be writing a news story like that without fact, without substance. So get hold of it now, kill it early. And it is, it is the age we live in, isn't it? I mean, things are going to get more and more interlinked as things break. You know, if clubs take it seriously, they're going to act quickly. Well, it's the FA Cup this week, and it's all... M- Obviously dominated by uh, by Eastlands. Um, so we're going to talk. Uh, second, we're going to look at uh, uh, MK Dons and uh, and QPR. Um, but it's really about Warnock and about MK Dons because, frankly, I don't think too many people even saw this game. So finish one one. It's going to replay. Um, late late goal from uh, from Helgeson uh, to keep QPR in it. Uh, but Warnock is gone now. Um, I want to start with you, Matt. Tony Fernandez tweeted that, you know, well, it's a results business, blah, blah, blah. And if the results aren't there, you're held responsible. And he actually said, I'm going to resign um, if the results aren't good enough at the end of the season. We'll see if he does that. Obviously, he can't really resign as owner. So I don't really know what his resignation would mean. Um, Is it good that somebody else is given a chance? Or are you going to be nice and say he should have been given more time, blah, blah, blah? Well, I actually feel that Neil Warnock should have been given to the end of the season. I honestly feel he, believe, he deserved that. I think he, um, yeah, it was a difficult start to the season, whether the ownership, was the changing of hands in terms of trying to get transfer targets into the building. Um, he perhaps didn't get his number one targets and ended up with number two and number three targets. Uh, so which, I think he which deserved, players do you think he wanted that he couldn't get? Well, I think he tried to get Peter Crouch up front. He didn't get him. I think maybe Darren Bent even or someone like that they're talking about Samba again in, in January now I think he deserved the January transfer window to, to try and bring in players that he, he has identified and till the end of the season that's what I feel he deserved um, because of the, the record of getting QPR up I mean they were knocking on the door for year after year and getting nowhere and absolutely nowhere they brought Neil Warnock and he got them promoted um, and he's got a habit of doing that from the championship yes his, his record in the Premier League it perhaps hasn't been as good as, as um, it has in, in lower divisions but I think he deserved the opportunity till the end of the season um, he hasn't been given that there was uh, for me uh, it raised suspicion a little bit when we saw this week some of the targets or some of the names that were uh, being linked with Queen's Park Rangers Christopher Samba Andy Johnson um, players that had played under a certain Mark Hughes um, and, it, and it raised suspicions um, and, and so uh, look I think he deserves the end of the season um, he hasn't got that that luxury No isn't it I, I, I agree with Matt I think he probably did deserve the end of the season but the, the, so can you explain this deserve thing? Isn't the point of he got the, t- he got the team up? Okay, but this is no. I, 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 it, I, I, what's I, the expectation I, for Queen's okay. Park Rangers this season? Okay, no, but if they finish where they are now, that's forget a great the expectation, season, right? Yeah. For, forget the expectation, right? But like. 
being in a football club, it's not like it's not like it's, it's not like you're married to your manager, right? If a better guy comes along, who you think can do better for your club than the guy you have, even if your guy's done brilliantly until now, don't you have to look at the range of options? I mean, isn't it legitimate to think that Mark Hughes might be a, a, a better option than the Neil Warnock? And what you've done before shouldn't really play into it. Yeah, the, the, Hughes, Hughes is, a, is a more proven Premier League manager than Warnock. And you're right, that there is a, a duty of care, I guess, to the club. He's also younger, taller, younger. more handsome, I, stronger. I don't know, I think Neil Warnock's got a sort of broadest <laughs> charm to him, to be honest. But yeah, but surely the point of football is to establish whether the, the, the manager that you've entrusted with the reins to see how far he can go. And January, is that really as far I as think, Warnock can go? I think, to back your argument up, Gab, Martin O'Neill at Sunderland, you know he's a he's a fine example. He's come, he's coming to the football club. Mm. He's, they obviously looked at him and thought he was a better option than Steve Bruce, and he's made an e- immediate impact. So to back your argument up, then then yeah, yeah sure. Um, but Steve Bruce probably was given was certainly given a lot longer than Neil Warnock was to prove himself. And also hadn't achieved what Warnock achieved. Warnock brought them up. He did what was he did what was asked of him. And as but, Matt says, he's their seventeenth. Admittedly, their form is dreadful, but they're seventeenth. If they I, I finish where they finish now, then their job is done. I, and the I other just, thing that I'd, I'd like to say, because I'm quite passionate about the subject, Mark Hughes is an overhyped mediocrity. If you look at the players he wants to sign, it's David Bentley, Samba, Johnson. Uh, there's one other who he used to work with. He'll, he'll be with Sean Wright Phillips again. He just he's just signing the same players again and again and again. QPR with Mark. Are, are Hughes, those all those guys he signed at Fulham. We well, had Johnson at Fulham, Sambury had at Blackburn. It's just playing. No, 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 no. Why no, is he no, looking no. at right. David okay. Bentley? All right, let me take a step back. Okay? No offense to David right. Bentley. I just want to get back to this idea that I don't, I don't know what deserving is to do with it. If you have a better option, if Jose Mourinho rocked up on Tony Fernandez's doorstep. Or, yeah, in, or, or, or in, forget Q, QPR, right? Talk about David Moyes. We all love David Moyes. Uh, he's great, right? Well, if Jose Mourinho materialized in Bill Kenwright's bed and said, hey, Billy, um, I, I'm going to go and uh, manage, uh, manage Everton. You don't have to give me any money. I'll do it for free. And is he going to do better than David Moyes on no money? Is he? Well, put it this way. A lot of people think that they would because they worship Mourinho. I don't necessarily. But, well, but, but, but wouldn't Kenwright be entitled to say, hey, you know what? For the good of the club, I think this guy is legitimately a better manager than you. In that bizarre, and he can do better. bizarre image of David Moyes, sorry, of Bill Kenwright being in bed with Jose Mourinho. Yes, he is. But the question is, is Hughes a significantly better manager than Neil Warner? Because Matt's right. It's going to be largely the same players. Where are they going to finish with Hughes? It's not like he's going to take him into Europe. Uh, a word on, a word on uh, MK Dons. Um, now... Obviously, there's few football clubs who get more abuse because for those who don't know, MK Dons used to be Wimbledon and then the owner went and moved them to Milton Keynes where there was no um, high-level um, football. Um, I need to declare my bias here because um, my old boss lives in Milton Keynes and is a big, uh, my old boss, I guess he's still our boss, he's just, just so far above us now that he's like a faraway boss, but he's a big Milton Keynes guy. Um, I'm gonna say, I, at what point do we forgive and move on and ditch this franchise stuff especially since AFC Wimbledon are doing pretty well I, I already have I, mm. I, think it's, I think it's died down a lot the, the sort of the antipathy towards MK Dons small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. 
Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Yeah, they're a legitimate side now and they've had some good managers. They've produced you know, quite a lot of good no, maybe not Premier League managers, but you know they've they've been quite a good sort of factory for man- managerial talent. It looks like Carl Robinson, the guy who's there at the moment, is is on the same path. He's, I think he's still the youngest manager in England, um, doing a decent job. So no, I, I I have no personal antipathy towards MK Dons. The principle behind the move I didn't like, but as you say, FC Wimbledon are doing all right. And there was there was look there was an over overwhelming economic reason to take Wimbledon out of London, and it secured the future of the of the. The franchise, I guess, but who's to say what would have happened if they'd stayed? I think if you're twenty, I think if you're twenty-five or under, then you, you probably wouldn't even know the history anyway. Uh, anyone over that, of course, would would understand what what happened, and you know anyone that can remember the, the 1987 FA Cup final and this Wimbledon side that came from nowhere all the way through the divisions to win the FA Cup. That great story. Um, I, I, I obviously uh, I know Carl Robinson, and I know his assistant really well, John Gorman, and I think they're a great team. Um, I think they work very well together. Uh, he's developed a fantastic playing um, side the way that a style sorry um, the way they they try and get the ball from the back they've scored this season 70 goals and they haven't got one player in double figures it just goes to show they've got team they've got the whole team um, are, are, are able to score um, from from different areas and I think he's done it they've done a magnificent job as a football side and, and a football club Obviously, if you're under 25, I say you, you won't understand the history of, of it, and you just see them now in the in the sort of third and fourth place in the, in League One, and they're, they're pushing for for promotion to the Championship. Should we be suspicious of Carl Robinson because he spells his name like a German, even though I presume the guy's British? Yes. Right. Just just wanted just wanted to check that. You know, I'm going to always remain vigilant. It would uh, probably help him get a big job as well. Well, you think so? Is, is he <laughs> Carl Heinz Robinson. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lindsay, you get the. Yes, uh, I think you're, you're. I like to think of you as a, um, a bit more of a of, of a purist and a traditionalist and a defender of the sacred flame than these two here. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for Gab, that, Gab. But I'm going to disappoint you. I, I think time has moved on now, and I think because of how well AFC Wimbledon have taken up the torch, I think that has helped heal wounds to it to a great degree now. And also, although Wimbledon were the, the you know the brilliant story of it, you know from Dicky Guy in '75 through to Laurie Sanchez and uh, you know winning the FA Cup in what was it 88 or whatever I think they were a relatively new club it's not like it was Everton or Preston North End or something um, and economically the sense is now starting to, to come through even more yeah I think there's an argument this won't be popular there's an argument that we have too many professional clubs in this country and I did say 87, didn't I? So I apologise to Coventry yes. fans because they won the FA Cup in 87. <laughs> he was in 88. He makes a mistake, but then he corrects it and, <laughs> and, uh, and adds his own little nugget there. 
All right, we're shaving up more of a discussion um, than a debate this week. Um, our producer, Chris Skinner, asked you all to prepare with uh, an interesting uh, transfer-related anecdote uh, or story, since uh, Lansley is a, is a, uh, a last-minute substitution. Uh, I'll go to you last, Lansley, uh, so you can, you can prepare. But, um, Matt, I, I want to ask you uh, a little bit. Uh, you've been uh, transferred, I believe, uh, uh, twice from Bournemouth to Ipswich and from Ipswich to Charlton, is that right? Uh, yeah, and I guess from, from West Ham to Bournemouth originally. So. Now, how does it, can you just tell us for the, from the inside, like, how does it, how does it work? Does, does somebody come to you and say, hey, look, you know, we don't want you anymore, or these guys really want you, or does your, does your agent get involved? Like, sort of, the, 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 the technique, I think people might be interested, mm-hmm. you know, like, from the player's perspective, how much do you know and when? Um, well, from Bournemouth to Ipswich, uh, Bournemouth were in administration, needed the money. Um, so I was obviously a saleable asset. Plus it was they, a big step up too. Uh, it was a division up. We were League One and they were the championship, Ipswich, uh, but been knocking on the door in, in terms of the playoffs. Um, and I was a saleable asset and they sort of invited bidders, really. I, there was, but did uh, they tell you, like, hey, look, we, we don't uh, have a part to go to the bathroom? No, in. Well, they were in administration, so everyone was available. Available. Okay. So everyone was available, basically. Right. Um, and you sort of expected that somebody was going to. Well, I hope. You hope, you hope yeah. more than anything. I mean, I'd, I'd had a couple of reasonable seasons at Bournemouth and was hoping perhaps that a move might materialise because obviously I wanted to play at a high level and test myself at another, uh, the next level up. Um, there were a few clubs that came in. Ipswich offered the most money. So how do you know this? Like, did, like, did somebody tell you? Did you have an agent yeah, at the time? Uh, at the time, says, I didn't have an agent. Um, the PFA looked after me, if you like. Um, so did the manager come to you? The no, administrator? The administrator, yeah. The administrator came and sort of said, well, listen, we've had a few offers. We feel that our derisory as as so far. Um, eventually, the, after much to and fro in Ipswich, agreed a fee. But it took a long time. It took the whole of, of, of the um, pre-season, basically. And I signed about ten, nine days, I think, before the start of the season. But it had taken all that time, really. And I was on the administrator's door pretty much every day saying, come on, what's happening? Um, because... Listen, I wanted to go and I wanted to, to try and prove myself at a higher level. Eventually, a, a figure was agreed um, and George Burley and um, came down to meet myself and the PFA representative at Bournemouth um, in a hotel. We uh, came to an agreement and the next day I drove to Ipswich and, and signed. Um, so that was pretty much that one. Um, your next transfer was that? very different because obviously you were more of a it was different yeah because um, well uh, I guess again Ipswich were probably trying to get me off the wage bill because we'd we'd spent a year in the championship not got back promoted after relegation um, and so they were looking to release the higher did you have an agent at this point yeah I had an agent at this point okay so he's the guy who made sure you got paid on like a Bournemouth where it was just the PFA and you were making a pittance yeah I mean actually yeah absolutely Um, but yeah I had an agent and again there was a couple of clubs came in Portsmouth uh, and Charlton were the two main uh, main ones. No, no but, but did, did your agent tell you, like, you know, that obviously... The, the I had a f- uh, yeah, I had a phone call off the Ipswich chairman um, to say that they'd, they'd um, had offers. And uh, I had a phone call off Alan Kerbishley um, to say, would I be interested in meeting him and having a chat? 
um, which and then I obviously had my agent as well calling me regularly, yeah. giving me updates. Um, and Ipswich were happy for you to chat to Kerbyshire because obviously because they, they wanted to get the money and they needed offer, yeah. they needed the, the money again. Yeah. yeah, so I guess both of my transfers or my major transfers have been because the club have, have looked to try and get some money into the football club. Um, I, I wasn't desperate to leave Ipswich because it was a club I, I was very close to. I'd been there six years. Um, we'd had great success. Unfortunately, we, we were relegated and, and spent a year in the championship. We finished, I think, just outside the playoffs. Um, and look, I was 29 years old and, and desperate to back, desperately honest to play back in the Premier League because that's obviously where you want to play football at the highest level. Um, fortunately, a couple of clubs did come in and um, I, I sort of spoke to Portsmouth, although not as at length um, with uh, as I did with Charlton and um, eventually agreed to deal with Charlton. The year before, actually, I, Aston Villa came in as well and I refused the move I, I didn't didn't sign for Aston Villa they, they'd agreed a fee with the club I spoke to Graham Taylor on the phone um, and, I, and I didn't sign um, but a fee had been agreed the previous year as well oh wow you, so was it why didn't you sign I mean did you various reasons to be honest I mean um, too far away from home no no, not really I mean listen if it was the right move at the right time then I I think I had a four year deal at Ipswich Um, I was 29 years old and to be honest Aston Villa offered me a three year deal they offered me um, better money than I was on for two years unless for my third year than I was on at Ipswich so for me I said listen if you want me to make the move you want me to uproot my family you have to at least match the four year contract that I was on at Ipswich and in terms of wages you have to sort of you know match what I'm I'm on for the four years they didn't do that um, for whatever reason and so that was perhaps the main reason why I didn't the final thing I just have to know about this is when you went like to, to look at the club like you always see people like they go and they tour the training ground yeah. did you do that at Charlton uh, and would that have no. impact I've what been, would I've it been taken, to the training like, for, the, for you to say no because the training ground is rubbish <laughs> I mean, seriously, what is it, like feces coming out of the toilets or what? Like, I, I never quite, I mean, you always assume they're going to be of a certain standard. I don't know, right? I, guess as a, I guess as a player or whatever, you get a feeling, don't you? You get a feeling for a club, whether it's going to be the right move or not. You get a feeling for the place, you get a feeling for the manager, whether you, you feel as though you're going to be able to work with him. Um, and for me, Charlton just seemed to fit. And, um, and and again, I spent six good years there in a great football club. As a player who didn't have many moves in history, what made you get an agent? Um, well, because I think the, with the PFA, I think they um, they try and uh, work for both sides, if you like. I mean, it's it, you know obviously they they want to keep the player suite, but also they want to keep the club suite. So they're sort of batting for both teams, if you like. Whereas an agent is batting predominantly or only for you they're, they're looking to get you as the best deal as possible so in terms of then renegotiating my contract to Ipswich uh, and getting the best possible deal I mean it's difficult yourself going in and saying listen George Burley I am the best player at the club I want X, Y, Z um, it's, it's hard to do that sit in front of the manager and tell him what you think of yourself yeah. as a player an agent can go in and, and do that for you uh, it helps but, when you look but at the, the PFA and, the PFA I think are looking at both sides the club are then saying to him well alright yeah but we you know we've only got a budget and we Whereas an agent is working solely for you and getting you the very best deal. Right. I wonder if your agent, when you got the good deal, if he went in and reminded uh, Uncle George about how much money Matteo Sereni and Finiti George were on. He might have yeah. done. <laughs> he might have done when he was uh, having a chat about the next deal, yeah. Rory? Uh, I don't have an agent, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> your, your, your hands for storing. Lucrative moves you've made. I know, recently, I'm, Rory. You, you have made a number of lucrative uh, of lucrative moves. I made a number course. of moves, none of yes. them very lucrative. <laughs> we're, we're after we're after a transfer story, Arthur. Yeah, no, it's, it varies. Thinking about this, it varies from case to case, really. I mean, I, I was still working on Merseyside when this summer when Sebastian Coates. That deal went through, and that was that was one that was driven entirely by the fact that in Uruguay they will talk about transfers. In England, clubs won't. They will not. It's sort of it's whispers and sort of nudges and winks and off the record. The occasional off the record steer, interpreting what no comment means in what context. In with with coats when when. So should you not be pronouncing him like since you are a Spanish speaker? I have a I have a theory for why it's the, the, the oh. name is originally Scottish. So it it is it, it, his surname is Coates. It's just that the, the Uruguayans pronounce it wrong. Cultural differences. <laughs> um, right. I'm sure that I'm sure Holland is originally Dutch, but you don't pronounce. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. Anyway, yeah. So Coates. It was a case of speaking to a Uruguayan journalist, speaking to to a director at, at Nacional, Sebastian Coates' club, and basically use it, using his information to track the transfer because Liverpool wouldn't give anything. In other cases... Why you, do you think they don't give anything? I don't know. and I, I, I've always sort of thought that clubs should be a bit more open about transfers since they are using fans' money to do it to an extent. But then at the same time, the, there's loads of different theories that if, you, if you're public about it, that it raises the price, that it might alert other suitors, it might, you know... It because might, other suitors wouldn't know that well, this is it. You know as well as I do that, that everyone in football knows what's going on in football. You know, if, if Man United are looking at a player Manchester City know about it there's, a, there's only so many top class players so it, it's a case for a journalist of, of basically assessing the information you get, you get and then sometimes plumping for what's most likely to be true or taking an aggregate of what you hear of all the lies that you hear and sort of trying to gain the truth through that it's a difficult process now transfers for journalists Well Lancey w- w- would, it, would it have been so bad in this case that Rory cited I mean if if Fenger had said, yeah, we're looking at Scott Dan and we're looking at other people and we all know we can maybe use a central defender, we may sign one, we may not sign one, what's the big deal? Yeah, you're bumping up everyone's potential self-interest, as Rory says. So, um, And also, if you go, if Arsenal go and say, yeah, we, we are closing in on uh, Dan, then it might you know, persuade Liverpool to take it more seriously. Um, and, and then you don't want to be seen to be lying as well. And you can't always get all, um, all, the, all the future truth all in line. Um, that's not a very good way of phrasing it. But, for example, um, there's one manager I, I know whose name I won't mention, but um, if you took, if you'd had a good steer or a good bit of gossip or whatever, and you took this name after a press conference and said, Martin, can I just have a quick word? Um, what about so-and-so? I've heard you've been linked with that. Is that he would, he would not lie to you. And therefore, if he, didn't, if he wanted to avoid lying, um, if he wanted to avoid being deceitful, to everyone, you'd end up with a whole myriad. It would just open up too, a kind of too many worms. It is interesting how you get information from various sources. I've we for 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 one deal to to Liverpool within the last year. The, the information came from from a, to, to to the press pack in general from a rival manager who happened to have. A sort of connection to the player in question, so it is amazing. The, the information comes from loads of different sort of, and as, as Pete says, it's often that it, it, not that it falls into your lap. That's maybe slightly un- underestimating what journalists do, but it, it comes not necessarily from where you expect it to come, because a lot of the people who were directly involved in a transfer, the club, the manager, the player, and the agents on both sides, are the most unreliable sources. 
I, in my experience, and I cover the transfer market quite closely, uh, well, God, it's been about 10 years now, I'm getting old, but um, rarely did somebody absolutely flat out lie to your face, uh, at least with me. I was kind of lucky with that. But when they did, you kind of made them pay for it. Exactly. The, the, they get egg on their face, don't they? And that's why managers very rarely will say, you know, something's black or white. The best example with the transfer market is Redknapp. Yeah. Harry, Harry Redknapp has his entirely own language <laughs> of fluid truth. And it's... <laughs> It's a remarkable skill, and it is it, with, with Redknapp with transfers is remarkable the way he does it. It, it. A mastery of language that I think is accidental, but it really is incredible. And it's pitching the way through the tr- through through the miasma of mistruth that he, and misinformation that he gives you, and it's 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 a remarkable skill dealing with dealing with Harry Redknapp on a regular basis. I don't know how his players cope. Tell you what, I am so excited for Harry Redknapp to become the England manager for that very very reason. <laughs> All right, time now for some quick hits. Uh, Liverpool win 5-1 against Oldham, but uh, it was another rough 48 hours at Anfield. Uh, Rory, what would you rather pontificate about in the next 30 seconds? The alleged abuse directed at Tom Adeyemi or uh, Stuart Downing's alleged arrest? Uh, well, Stuart Downing has been arrested, uh, along with his his ex-girlfriend, who I believe is called Michaela Henderson Time, who was on, was on WAG's boutique whilst not being a WAG. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. Tom Adeyemi, Liverpool is doing the right thing, punishing punishing the or hel- helping Merseyside police. I don't understand why Liverpool are being criticised for doing that. They, the, the way they handled Suarez was, was dreadful, ab- abysmal media management. They're doing the right thing in this case to assist Merseyside police and make sure the guy who did allegedly ra- racially abuse Tom Adeyemi is punished. I'm also imagining the people who identified him were people in the cop, therefore most likely themselves Liverpool supporters. After Landon Donovan and Thierry Henry, uh, Robbie Keane is uh, rumoured to possibly be the next uh, uh, MLS caffeine injection to a Premier League club. Um, Lansley, uh, how likely is this, uh, is, is, is this to happen? And also, like, does it kind of bug you that, you know, these people are under contract over there, suddenly decide, oh, well, instead of my off-season, instead of resting and preparing, I'll go and uh, play for Everton or Arsenal or indeed Villa? Uh, no, it doesn't bug me. And I think it's part of um, the MLS being able to sort of... Uh, uh, enhance their brand, and uh, by you know getting a bit of Premier League uh, spotlight on their on their star players, um, for, albeit for a couple of months. Um, I've, Robbie Keane, last I heard, very likely to happen at Villa. McLeish very confident, um, talking about you know when a press conference might be, etc. And I think he'd be great for Villa, and I think it would be a real shot in the arm. McLeish wanted him last year, came close to getting him if the Birmingham owners hadn't. Um, you know, had been willing to pay the, the going rate. Um, it's also cheap for Villa, relatively. If it costs half a million for two months, it might satisfy the fans for a little bit. And just on the field of play, I think he just offers the, the kind of spark which Stephen Island has struggled to do very much. And I can see him scoring goals. I can see him making goals for Darren Bent. Um, and who knows if it went brilliantly? Perhaps, perhaps they'd talk again. Yeah, you could be fantastically. It was fantastic for West Ham last year. Thierry Henry is back at Arsenal uh, at least through the end of February Uh, Matt he's uh, 34 now Uh, what can Gunners fans reasonably uh, expect and also uh, how does your game change by the time you turn 34 
Well, for me, when I turned 34, I went to centre-half. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't run about the pitch as much. And you, uh, um, I reckon I'd still be playing now if I was six foot four um, at centre-back. So um, that's what happened with me. I think for Arsenal, it's an absolute no-brainer bringing him back. They're in a situation where Jovino and Schumacher are going to the African nations. Um, I think at times this season, they um, have lacked some sort of composure in the final third I think with Walcott one side Javinho the other at times the final ball is lacking um, Arshavin as well hasn't hit, hit the heights the last sort of 18 months two years that we saw when he first arrived at the football club so for me it'll get the fans excited I think he'll probably play in that left hand side role he won't be the number one striker because we've seen the damage that Robin Van Persie has been able to do in the last 12 months or so um, he'll play on the left hand side he'll do what he often does um, cut inside um, get his shots away I think he'll add composure he'll add um, excitement to the crowd and um, uh, it's just a, it's a no-lose situation I think for Arsenal You mentioned Schumacher going to the African Cup of Nations I know some Arsenal fans who probably want him to stay there and never come back <laughs> Dad, one for you it's no real secret that Daniele De Rossi who's out of contract in June is one of the hottest commodities out there any clue what he'll do? Well, um, he was he was asked about it after uh, after the Roma game on, uh, um, on on Sunday, where the fans gave him a, a, a standing ovation when he was substituted. Which remember, this is a guy who never gets substituted, and he said, "I have a very clear idea in my mind what I'm going to do. In fact, every day that passes, it becomes clearer and clearer. But every day that passes, I also realize I cannot tell you. So um, I have absolutely no clue. I mean, if he is going to sign his new contract, you'd kind of wish that he does it and." and moves on. I can understand if he's leaving why he wouldn't come out and say it and then have to spend another few months there. But um, what Luis Enrique and Franco Baldini and the new owners are doing at Roma is absolutely fantastic. Uh, he he loves the team, you know, sort of in a Matt Letizia, Alan Shearer-esque type of way. You kind of want him to, uh, you kind of want him to stay. By the same token, the dude's what 26 27 years old he speaks English he's an absolute monster in midfield and you can get him for free he can probably write his own ticket if he leaves uh, the one other thing I want to say is Roma have um, that they've offered him a deal that pays him something in the region of 180 grand a week uh, so anybody who wants them would not just they wouldn't just have to beat that they'd have to beat that by a very big margin that's all we've got time for this week, but you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, and of course, our web chats. Mine is on Tuesdays. Rory, you've done one. Uh, you might even be asked uh, to do another one at some point in the near future, right? You never know. If you never know. If there's no one else available. If there's nobody else available. That's the spirit. And of course, most of us are on Twitter. Matt, you're on Twitter too. What's your handle? I am at Matt Holland 8. At Matt Holland 8. Wonder how you came up with that. Rory, you're on Twitter too, as am I, but people already know that. Till next week, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes 
while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. 